Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today on Grief and Rebirth Podcast. I'm speaking to you from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey, and my very, very special guest, Seta Araj Shahinian, is coming to us from Wyckoff, New Jersey. Seta is an energetic healer and conduit of healing and transformation for people throughout the world for the past 20 years. She was the first guest on Grief and Rebirth podcast and is returning to the podcast today because she wishes to share some of the tremendous knowledge, understanding, and experiences she has recently gained with all of us. In the spirit of transparent, full disclosure, Seta has been my energy healer since shortly after my husband transitioned to the other side. Therefore, I know from personal experience that Seta can perceive the energetic template that encompasses a person's mind, body, and soul, and identify the patterns, states, and conditions that define our current lifetime. Through pair, Seta focuses on releasing curses, evil eyes, hexes, and jinxes we ourselves have created, inherited, or ones that others have imposed upon us. I have personally experienced this. Seta facilitates purification from alien negative energies, entities, and soul attachments. She attends to ailments of the mind, body, and most importantly, the often neglected soul. She has channeled her own modalities called Two Hands to Heal and the diligent application of deliberate intent amongst other healing techniques, uniquely her own. She often individualizes prayers for her clients and shares from her own healing arsenal of prayers. These are just a few of the tools Seta teaches and passes on to her clients to further their healing process. Although Seta is well-versed in many modalities, including homeopathy, her go-to modality is prayer, both in English and Armenian. As she is often known to quote, an intention plus prayer equals a healing. Another favorite quote is, when energy flows, health ensues. Her priority is always to help release the various blockages and impediments that obstruct energy along energetic pathways and with organs and systems. Seta always encourages people to develop their own relationship with source through prayer which she believes is fundamental to receiving the blessings of divine intervention that make for an easier, more balanced and healthy life. I'm looking forward to interviewing Seta about why she focuses on prayer. What is an alien negative energy? The types of emotional, physical and spiritual issues she helps people to heal. The new focus of healing that spirit has revealed to her titled multiple soul syndrome and more. 
This is going to be a very enlightening, insights-filled, and fascinating interview about emotional, physical, and spiritual healing. And by the way, again, in the spirit of open transparency, Seta channeled the name of this podcast, Grief and Rebirth, Finding the Joy in Life. What a tremendous blessing. Hi, Seta. My Hi, sweetie pie, my remarkable healer and wonderful friend. Welcome once again to the Thank Green you, my dear. Pod, podcast. Oh, what a pleasure, Seta. It's so such a pleasure to be here. I it know. Really All Thank these you. years we've been working together and here we are. Wow. So let's begin. And I can, I am a living testament to the wonders of your healing, really. Let's begin our interview with this question. Please tell us what your life was like before you became a healer. And how did you happen to evolve into being a healer? Well, soon after um, I graduated from NYU Stern with a degree in accounting, I married my husband, Dr. Paul Shahinyan, and we started our own um, optometric practice. He's an optometrist. And I did the business end. I took care of the business end, all the buying, the selling, accounting, obviously. And he was the physician. And he is the physician, thank God, in Fort Lee and, and, and uh, Westwood under Linwood Optical. And um, everything was beautifully running beautifully. We were quite uh, successful early on and very happy. And uh, God blessed us with children. And um, fortunately or unfortunately, I can say, unfortunately, because it created um, difficulties with my children, but fortunately, because it was a tool for progress and evolution, right? And that's why we're here on earth is to progress and evolve as souls. And sometimes from the greatest um, heartache comes the greatest lessons and the greatest um, momentum towards our own evolution. So um, my first son um, started uh, regressing in his speech, but over a short period of time, meaning over six or seven weeks, and uh, I thought it might be, I attributed it to vaccinations actually at the time and the doctor poo-pooed it and said it's impossible. And then my second son, uh, it was a month before his 24th, uh, his second birthday and we were um, at the doctor's office and he gave him his, his shots right after he had had his first ear infection. And that night he started screaming and ranting and raving. And by the following morning, he was mute and he, had maybe a 200 word vocabulary at the time. So it was very drastic. And I almost felt like God said to me, well, you know, you weren't paying close enough attention. <laughs> and I wanted to make it abundantly clear that the vaccine was uh, dangerous. And uh, for people who are curious, it happened to be oral polio and DPT actually. Um, and already my elder son now at the age of almost four was mute. And he hadn't spoken for over two, two and a half years for two years, really. And it was a very painful time. Very, it's very devastating, painful. absolutely devastating. To have two children and both are mute. And um, at the time, both were placed on the autistic spectrum. And, you know, I prayed and I said, God, I, as a mother, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, but please guide me. And during my journey in healing them, and I will tell you that, for example, my second son, he went to a regular kindergarten class and uh, with the benefit of homeopathy, with the benefit of wonderful healers all over the world, actually. And, and my elder son also um, really, 
I mean, he, he started speaking close to the age of five and the doctors at the time, the top neurologist in Manhattan, for example, who I remember charged me $950 in 1990s, early 1990s, wow. um, what was it, 1995 maybe, uh, said to me that your son will never speak, just learn sign language. And he has an impeccable vocabulary actually. So I have to say that it's um, wow. a godsend. Anyway, so we have tools out there. It, the, the important message is for parents who, who have difficulties with children. It's easy to go into a state of grief or helplessness or self-pity even, or feeling so lost that there is no way out. But if you can have the courage and if you can really put forth your best, best effort and investigate and explore, you can find solutions to help your children more than you can possibly imagine. Um, and I think that at the time, there were, there, the internet didn't even exist when I needed help. So imagine how much more information we have at our disposal today. So how were you looking? Where were you looking to get this help for your sons? So it was very interesting. Um, I had um, a cousin. I mean, you had to be frantic. I know. Well, I had, I had a cousin in Brazil who ended up doing some hair analysis with a doctor's data lab in Chicago. And, uh, and I remember that she, I just remembered that this was a lab that did very sort of alternative kind of testing. And when my son was prescribed massive doses of vitamin B6, I said, well, how do I know if he was, he's even deficient? So I ended up asking and, and got a prescription and sent the blood to this man and uh, to, to this biochemist, a world renowned biochemist, which I didn't know at the time. And he told me, you have to take your, your son off of dairy and wheat. And at that point he had been truly mute for two and a half years, like not a word, nothing, zero, grunting at best. And within 24 hours, he was babbling. Wow. And within one week he was speaking in words. Within a month he was speaking in sentences. Wow. But you know how things work? It was exactly the same month that I prescribed his homeopath. I was prescribed a homeopathic remedy from a doctor in California that I found. So it was, tools like this. And so I understood that he had allergies. I ended up working with Dr. Doris Rapp up in Buffalo, New York. And she said to me, you seem to be a very open-minded mother. She said, I'm only managing allergies, giving you inoculations. And I was injecting, you know, shots every day. Um, it turns out that they were allergic to every single thing they, they ate, everything. They had a leaky gut. The food was leaking through the intestinal wall wow. going into the bloodstream. And if they ate anything, they were developing antibodies against that food. I mean, they were, oh, the, the reactions were atrocious from different foods would evoke different behaviors, sometimes screaming, sometimes crying, sometimes sleeping, sometimes whining, sometimes fighting. One of my greatest regrets is not having a camera with me during that week that we went to see Dr. Doris Rapp because you could see she did something called provocation neutralization where she would provoke a response and then give an infinitesimal dose of whatever they were allergic to and to neutralize it. So it was sort of like um, homeopathy, personalized homeopathy. Wow. It, it, was, it was wonderful. Anyway, on the way out, she told me about this healer in Canada and I ended up taking my children there 16 times for a week at a time over wow. the next four Stretcher. years. And I ended up studying with that gentleman and um, uh, Dr. Harvey Steele and Dr. Larry Steele, originally in Chatham, now in Guelph, Ontario. If you're listening to this up in Canada, by the Toronto region, I mean, really uh, a godsend, truly. So um, we have choices. 
and we just have to search and we must never ever give up hope. And you know, my, my son ended up graduating from Drexel and he's uh, doing wonderfully and, and the other one is driving and also, I mean, nobody would really think at this point uh, where our beginnings were. Anyway, I ended up understanding that I had an affinity for healing because I could feel what all of these healers were doing with my voice. And, um, and I learned to study, I, I studied the modalities that they were teaching and, um, and began my private practice and left my husband. And he was devastated actually, because he thought I was, you know, we were, had been in partnership for, for over a decade together. And literally within three months time, I was working full-time in my private practice and I haven't turned back. And that was 20 years ago. And what a testament that you had, ju you just started to learn this thing and already you were building a clientele because you're, you're I mean, I can tell you when you're very gifted, Shetta. Thank you. And did he teach you um, this man you were learning from? Did he focus on prayer? Because I know you focus no, on prayer. No, but you know, our emotions are organotropic. This is very important, right? Let's say you get very angry about something and you think that it's in your mind and then you cool down and it just sort of fades away. But in reality, that anger went directly to the liver. All emotions have an affinity for a particular organ. And oh. if we indulge the same emotion repetitively, we block that organ. We block the meridians that nourish and sustain that organ. And eventually we're gonna have some kind of pathology develop in an organ that is lacking energetic sustenance and nourishment. And we do that because we think incorrectly. And- so Our bodies really hear what we're thinking. Our bodies really react to what we're thinking. And hold on to it. And hold on to and it. And hold on to it. And hold on to it for so long you can't even imagine. Um, so as I was working, I saw, for example, an emotion, let's take, like, take an emotion of guilt. And I saw the emotion of guilt in the upper part of the body, in the center of the body and below the body. And it was everywhere. So as in the beginning, I used to work with hands-on healing. And at one point, spirit said to me, Sita, sit down, because you can't possibly remove the energy from everywhere. Sit down and pray. And as you pray, you will be the conduit, you'll hold the space and the prayer has intention, but the voice also, um, one of the ways in which we heal is through voice, not just through energy, right? God said, let there be sound. So sound actually precedes even light. So the sound of the prayer, the frequency and vibration of the prayer, whether it's in Armenian or in English, and they offer different, um, there, there are different benefits. You know, sometimes the person needs to hear all the words and understand all the words. And sometimes you don't want the person concentrating on the words. And then I'll switch to Armenian because it's just, it just flows over them and they just go into a, a trance without paying attention to every word. And it's, of course, it's a different vibration. And it's, it's interesting, you know, it's a Proto-Indo-European language. So it's one of the oldest, most ancient languages. And then English, the other language is one of the most widely spoken languages. So I feel like it's no coincidence. Absolutely. Is there a correct way to pray, Sita? Yes. Yes. You cannot ever, ever, ever um, complain when you pray. Because um, prayer so you're not, you're like not saying, oh God, I don't want this, or I don't want that, or don't, that's not the correct way to pray. Because um, the, the law of attraction, prayer is a law of attraction multiplied a thousandfold. Okay. So normally, let's say you think anything you think. 
a seed is being planted in your future. Eventually, as time elapses, we come to that manifestation of that thought, okay, in our reality. But when we pray, we are invoking the divine. And once the divine is involved, it just amplifies that prayer. So if we actually prayed incorrectly and we complained about what we were praying, or, or we actually harm ourselves. So we really say, well, does the device, divine take everything literally as to what we say? Like if, well, you, I will die, if you have a fight with your father and say, I hope he dies 10 years later, 15 years later, even though you don't mean it anymore, that's still inside of you? Well, you let's say if you didn't consciously attempt to nullify that seed that you planted, then you're a little bit in trouble. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's true. Mm -hmm. But the important thing is, is that you, you declare what you want in a positive manner. Let's say if I'm not working, right? Thank you, God. Um, for my current employment for this lucrative position with a wonderful team around me instead of saying you know i don't only want to say the negative but, but i don't only want to complain about not having right. a job for example because that's right. not my it's not appropriate but it's very right. important to pray properly and i'll tell you what else we you know when we make mistakes unless we pray and we ask for god to correct those mistakes we actually create more difficulty for ourselves. It's much harder for us to, over, to undo the, the, the consequences of our errors. So if we pray, we really um, forge ahead and, and God sort of helps us to wipe that slate clean, which is very important. So we pray in a very positive way. And I know that you have, you help with people and you have an arsenal of prayers and, and, and you have events coming up with yeah. prayer, I know that. But, how exactly do prayers heal us? Is it that they're hearing us on the other side and they're, they're um, helping to change the conditions that are going on within us? So, How does that happen? So, so God miraculously, you know, um, created an amazingly intricate um, energy body around us. We, have, we are seven levels and layers of the energy body. We have an entire template. We have trillions of manifestation loops. We have meridians, which, for example, acupuncture works with. So we have so many energy highways. When we pray, what I see is I see a kaleidoscope of geometric shapes of all different colors. And then from those geometric shapes constantly spinning and twirling, I see that light falls upon us. And our energetic receptors receive that light that has a very specific frequency, vibration, and energy that delivers a healing to us. So imagine if we have something that's locked, right? A, a darkness, that light will come and it will shave off that darkness one step at a time until it disappears. And then we experience freedom. Whereas if we don't pray, how are we gonna get rid of this darkness here? I, I don't, it's very difficult because you created it. That means you believe this to be true. We need a third party to come in and help us unravel and unwind the mistakes that we've already perpetrated against ourselves. So the divine on the other side really do hear us. And they, really are, and they really are helping us. So let me- But you know why? why? You know why? Because why? we have a soul. So we have a higher self, which is the aspect of us that is not incarnated, all right? And we are an aspect of God. And that's why you, have, you can have trillion, you can have a trillion people playing at once and God will hear every single one of us. 
Oh my goodness. And for people, all right. So people who don't know, they're walking around with all this neg, all these negative messages that they created yes. for themselves or uh -huh. other people have foisted upon them. Mm -hmm. um, they could go through life and just cross over with all of that. But what are the reasons they should heal that we should heal, process our wounds and correct these misconceptions and beliefs. What does this do for our soul in, in future incarnations, for, for this future in this life we're living? Why should people Okay, so that? let's say, for example, somebody has, somebody complains incessantly. When you speak, you're planting a seed in the future. If you speak in the same manner over and over again, those seeds congeal they solidify, they spread out, and when it becomes pervasive, we call that a curse. Because your will at one given moment can't undo the curse because it's one thought versus a thousand negative thoughts. You understand? Mm -hmm. That's why we need God's intervention. But if we die with this curse on our souls, that means in our next life, and I do believe in reincarnation because I can see the burdens on infants that are newborn right? They haven't lived yet. You know, they shouldn't be experienced. You're going to say, well, maybe they inherited something from their parents, or maybe it's a generational curse, or maybe it's an intrauterine response. Yes, granted, but still that soul carries its own karma, okay, which I can detect. And in certainly, wait, I have to say, you certainly can, because you've detected quite a few times on me. Yes. So what, so what happens is, is that if, if you don't address the problem in this lifetime, you are condemned to experience it again in your next lifetime as a contractual limitation and from the moment of birth onwards. So it's, it's a very, um, it behooves you to address the ailments of your soul. You know, everybody really talks about ailments of the mind and they talk about ailments of the body and they don't even understand that the driving force are really ailments of the soul because the whole reason you're on earth is to evolve. That's it. I mean, my children had difficulty. I am sure that I arranged for that to happen. And they graciously volunteered for that to happen so that I could learn and that I could help just exactly like you do, right? You're, you're helping people from your pain because that's you've right. learned a lesson. And that's part of our life purpose is to learn something and then share it with others. Absolutely. So Seta, besides curses, what are what types of emotional, and I know you do so much, you're so gifted. What types of emotional, physical, and spiritual issues do you help people to heal? So if someone's listening to this podcast and saying, wow, maybe I should go see Seto. What does she, what does okay. she do exactly? So, so we, um, one of my favorites is altering timelines. You know, somebody is on a trajectory, but they were thinking negatively and they've attracted all this negativity into their lives or obstructions and blockages. So, or they have, colliding timelines, timelines that really conflict and they are conflicted in their choices and their passions and, and everything else. So if we can take away um, the less desirable timelines and create one trajectory, one timeline that's superior, I can't tell you what a relief it is for that person. Um, and that's only one of the things, there are so many things. Uh, for example, people jinx themselves all the time. And the most probably common form of jinxing, and there are many ways in which we jinx ourselves, but one of them is where we actually place a limit on the good in our lives. And believe it or not, the average person on a scale of one to 10, the limit is a three. When things get good beyond the level three, 
they begin to sabotage themselves because they feel uncomfortable with it. It's too good to be true. They can't allow it to happen or they feel like there's some unforeseen horrible event that's going to befall them best and pull the rug out from under their feet best that they curtail the blessing themselves so that they can feel comfortable and control the negative that's ensuing it's 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 so there's a part of them that wants it and there's another part that's holding them back yes. you also heal a lot of physical issues with people well yes i work with allergies migraines you know whatever a lot of yes i mean mm -hmm. you help people with all kinds of things and the spiritual issues um anything specific you want to talk about spiritually right now before we get to these alien negative energies and all of that so i will tell you that there is an epidemic of people not going to the light so Apparently, only 24% of people who pass even re re receive uh, religious rites. Um, so oftentimes, people are just um, having memorial services where they're talking about how wonderful that person was. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not taking, it's not helping the person go to the light. Because if that person had certain negative energies on them, or if they had certain curses that prevent them from ascending, or maybe they had a fear of leaving this plane and they've attached to their loved ones, it's uh, they need, they absolutely need a funeral because in the funeral, I can see with my third eye that the person is bathed in light and their sins are washed away and they are escorted to the light. In fact, in Armenian, the word funeral means to direct. People need help going to the light. And there is a reason why, you know, it's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. There is a reason why religious institutions came into existence and part of it is for these these rites of passage and one of the very important ones is funerals oh, so like but we have a problem these days because people are dying of covid and everything and they're they're in hospitals and their loved ones can't be around them does that mean everyone who's died that way is wandering around no i mean you can pray for a soul without the, having the body in front of you Right. I mean, just like you know, so if, if their loved ones are praying for them, they're going to help them go to the they're light. Gonna, they're going to help. And and you can ask for if you don't know how to pray for someone who's passed because you don't really follow a religious institution. You don't have any religious education or spiritual education. It's not even necessarily religious. It's spiritual education. You know, people are dumbfounded. They have no idea how to pray to ask somebody to go to the light, which is why I'm actually working on a project with somebody. Um, and creating a universal angel of bereavement that's going to be un, uh, sold on Amazon and hopefully other places too, but um, under the company name Divinely Blessed, but the, it's going to come with a number of prayers, a number of prayers that people can use to help um, their loved ones go to the light. That's interesting. Now let's talk about alien negative energies because now everyone listening to us is scared out of their minds. Oh my God, I'm not going to the light and I'm filled with alien negative energies. So why do those alien negative energies need to be purified? And once we've purified them, can they say, hey, I like this host. I want to come back. Can they come back to the person or they're done? How does that all work? Well, first ask, why is the person the one, the major reason that I see that the person doesn't go to the light? Well, there are a few reasons actually. Sometimes it's a shock, right? It's an unexpected death. The person wasn't prepared and they actually don't even know that they have passed. They're really in a state of shock. Um, sometimes they don't want to leave their loved ones and they literally attach to them. And I'll never forget, I had, I had a client who 
said, you know, she said, my parents passed and I did quite well with their death. I, you know, was maintained my balance. She said, but my brother died. And she said, I can't get him out of my mind. He's with me every day. Um, and I even purchased a Porsche, she said, because it was his favorite car. And I said, whoa. And I looked at her and I scanned her and there was her brother just sitting on her chest. Oh my and, gosh. Um, he had told her to buy the Porsche. Anyway, after the, the soul was separated and sent to the light, she said, oh, I hated that Porsche. She said, I can't wait to get it. <laughs> it was so not me. And, and this is what happens. People don't understand that sometimes they're, when they have difficulty letting go of their loved ones, the loved one feels obliged to remain behind and doesn't separate. And it's like you're holding them back from going to the light. Sometimes it's because they have demons. You know, think about somebody who's overdosed. I had an occasion today, this mother of a, of, a, of a young woman who overdosed and she was right with her mother. And um, she was attached, literally attached to her mother, but we, she couldn't go to the light because she was cocooned in negative energies. So until those negative energies actually were exercised from her, um, and she was prepared for her journey to go to the light. And she had a, a heavenly escort of divine beings and angels. And actually Mother Mary was with her too. And then she, she was taken to the light. But it took over two hours of prayer, I will tell you. Wow. So it's not like this. If a person is really stuck in this realm and can't go to the light, it, it does take a concerted effort with faith. Is this the same thing as when people talk about ghosts? They've been yes. unable to go to the light? Yes, sometimes, yes, absolutely. There are- um, And they probably need help to go to the light. Yes, this is, it's, it's an epidemic proportions. We're talking about only, I can't even tell you how many times I've had people just go to the hospital. Let's say they had, a, they, had they were under anesthesia. They were vulnerable at that time. Um, sometimes a person who died in the hospital will just attach to them right there. And they're going to come home. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, you know, my mother went in for an operation and she's not herself. Something really drastically is different. Or people will tell me it's been five years since my kidney operation. I've never been the same since. And it's because they have a dead soul attached to them. And I know oh it sounds, God. yes, but that's what happens. And then you pray. And I, each and every time the person will say, oh my God, I'm back to where I was. And so here you can go to a million doctors especially those who are energetically sensitive and can feel the presence of somebody as a pressure, right? Um, or, and they can go to a million doctors trying to figure out what's wrong. And it, it is not an ailment of the mind. It's not an ailment of the body. It is an ailment of the soul. And I'll never forget the first time I realized that this happened was a woman who had been in a coma for 30 days in the hospital. She had been hit in the head by a horse, the hoof of a horse. It was a traumatic injury. And she was barely in her body when I saw her, meaning her soul was barely in up to the neck. And it was years afterwards, her husband went to the restroom and she whispered to me, she said, if you can't help me, she said, he's gonna send me to a mental institution. She said, because I am hearing voices and I'm seeing things. While her third eye was open, she could actually see and hear all the five, dead souls attached to her Five. oh my gosh yes and by the time we were done it was like she was a brand new person 
And it was, it, it really, it saved their marriage. It saved her life. I mean, it was, it was pretty amazing. Actually. You also helped five souls go to the other side. Yes. Yes. That Can was a imagine? blessing also. Uh, one of the, another thing I want to ask you, was there are other common issues or problems that are often overlooked as cause of disease? Seta, the things that happen within a soul that, that, that uh, are causations for things in people's bodies? Well, you know, when, when an alien soul is attached to you, at the point of attachment, the person will feel a heaviness, it will block energy, and no doubt some kind of pathology will ensue. They won't understand why, but it's definitely, um, it, it does correspond to a physical ailment eventually. We don't, it's not just something that's attached to us without, um, and just burdening us without a physical manifestation. Eventually there is a physical manifestation. And the person actually feels themselves crazy too, by the way. It's you know? so interesting because it's, it's just so. Can I tell you, I know that so many people in mental institutions that this is why they're in mental institutions, except that the third eye is open and they can actually hear and see what the voices are saying. And everybody assumes that it's a hallucination when it's not actually. Wow. Not to say that it's not, it can of course be that sometimes, but certainly there are cases when the person is perfectly sane. So there are people who only believe in Western medicine and they'll go to their doctors and all, but they don't really know that someone like you, in addition to what the doctor's doing, can approach it in a, in a totally different way. And sometimes yes. there are solutions that you find that Western medicine is not cognizant of. They're right. not conscious of it at all. So I have a menu and I ask, you know, is this on the physical level? Is this energetic? Is this spiritual? You know, is this foreign? So, you know, we have to really take into consideration every possible contributory factor. Okay, well, here's, wow, and here's another one. So all we ever hear about when we are um, doing our spiritual work, whatever is going on in our lives is you've got to let go. That's one of the hardest things in the world to let go of whatever is bothering you. But they always say that it's going to, there are consequences of not letting go of our grief, and the benefits of coming to terms with our grief. So could you tell us about the emotional, physical, and spiritual consequences of all of us who are free to let go of our pain, of our issues, of our stuff, um, and we're holding on to our grudges and, and whatever is going on? Why should we work on that? And that's a big challenge to work on, but why is it worth it to work on that? Well, um... It curtails, if we don't work on it, it curtails our blessings and it curtails abundance in our life. Because think about a grudge or a grievance, right? If gratitude is the first step of abundance, which it is, here I am, thank you, God, for sending me all of these beautiful blessings. Um, if I take into consideration the law of attraction and I begin to complain, and I'm not even when I'm speaking to God, but in general, you know what he did, you know what he said, you know what happened, right. all of these things. How can I attract good into my life when I'm, all I'm doing is complaining? I can only expect to receive into my life that which I emanates from me. It's the law of attraction is exact and precise, whether we want it or to be or not. So when we complain, we really um, are only inviting more things to complain about. But I really wanted to talk a little bit vis-a-vis -vis, uh, grief. Go ahead, please do. You know, um, my cousin, for example, just very recently um, unexpectedly lost her husband. And um, 
to a heart attack. And I, and I saw her really spiraling downwards as I have many and witnessed many people. And it's very difficult for um, people to overcome the loss of a loved one, a spouse, as you very well know. As I very well know. And, yep. and what, I, what I see is that there was a timeline that she was on. And at one time, that timeline had her husband, but it no longer has her husband. Now she's on a different trajectory at a crossroads, right? She, she turned. But what I find is, is that the longing for her husband in, ensures that she jumps backwards in time and that she jumps off of the current track and goes back to an alternate timeline, which has come to an end. There is no future in that timeline. It cannot move past a certain point and a certain date. And so what she does is she continuously moves backwards. And instead of moving forwards, she's going back in time because only in the past does her husband exist. And so it assuages the wounds by, by living in the past. But there's a big problem because your, you, your energy will shatter your entire construct will shatter. We have an energetic structure and paralysis will ensue. And- Are you talking about physical or emotional paralysis? Everything. everything. The, the, the ability to take action will ensue. The, the, the inability to take action will then come and, and become so disempowering that the person is sort of halted because she's on another timeline. We have to make sure that a person who is grieving understands that they have to go back to the original, to their current timeline so they can live. And, and we have to give them the tools to be able to cope with that loss. It's just so important. And, and until we do so, I have to tell you, I've seen people um, 10 years afterwards still in a state of grief, prolonged grief. I and have to... And it's because they're actually still living in a past timeline and they don't know how to come. They don't know how to dissolve that timeline and come here. And there's also the issue of negative energy, right? You can't um, think about something negative like grief all the time and not imagine that there are energies in the universe that will come to you, right? And that will attach to you. So we become we're, we're in a dynamic situation. We're constantly growing, evolving, or we're stagnating and devolving. And um, that's why it's so important for us to do the work that we do because the, the soul takes such, it's, it's such an investment for our higher self to send us down. Because what if we incur more karmic debts? What if we devolve? We are really harming ourselves. So you can't imagine how much your higher self, how much God wants to help us through this journey. And what happens when we don't ask for help? Then we really get stuck. And then we're in a state of mourning that, that's endless. That's so, endless. That's your story. That becomes your life story. Yes. And it's actually on and being there for other people in your life and, and, and being a role model and moving yes. forward in your life. That becomes your hanging out. That's where you are. I've seen it. I've seen it so many times and it's sad. Um, Seta, could you introduce our Grief and Rebirth audience to this new focus of healing that you recently discovered and tell us how you receive this information? Okay. So my fascinating friend Seta, everyone, so give a listen. <laughs> Thank you, honey. 
<laughs> so, you know, it had been some time that I hadn't been taking some courses only because I have a lot of gifts and modalities at my disposal. But, you know, when spirit says something to me, I'm like, what? And I, <laughs> and I obey without even asking a question. So what happened was, was that um, there was a, um, my friend, my friend Catherine mentioned a course called Psych-K. And my guide said, you're going to go and you're going to take your daughter. And I, I didn't even look it up to know what it was about. Nothing, zero. I literally signed up and registered without asking a single question. How old, when they speak, I how, how old was that? At the time, she was 19. It was 2018. Okay. And Psyche really approaches um, healing um, from the perspective of the subconscious mind. I'm sure you know, but perhaps our listeners don't, but only 5% of our behavior is actually controlled by our conscious mind. 95% of our behavior is controlled by the subconscious mind. And unfortunately for us, the subconscious mind can be as easily um, educated uh, by, by dreams, uh, by uh, fantasy. It's, it's, it's uh, an amazing amount of influence that anything other than reality has on the subconscious mind, okay? So um, I said, okay, I'm gonna go. And I took her and at the time, um, you know, that we had, we were having some issues with her complexion. And I thought that perhaps, who knows, it was something emotional on the level of the subconscious mind. And I said, you know, best that sometimes it's best when it's not the mother working on you all the time, right? It's nice to get other people to help. So I always pray before the course, because I want to receive the most uh, that I can out of the opportunity that God has orchestrated for me to benefit from. And, and I heard, um, and it was actually, and it's, 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 I have to say, it's not always Jesus, but it was Jesus in this time. And he said, you know, she has to process her grief, her intrauterine grief um, from losing her twin. And she was originally a twin. And um, at around eight weeks, she stopped, uh, the second twin stopped developing. Wow. And we, um, soon after she was born, she developed severe eczema. Within 48 hours, her body was covered with eczema. Uh, her pediatrician was ready to call diphus on me because I refused to use corticosteroids because I said, you know, her body, her vital force is strong enough to exteriorize the disease. If I suppress it, it's, it's, her skin's going to look pretty, but the disease is going to just go into the level of the organs. So I knew there was a problem. She was born in December and I said, I'm going to wait. She's a newborn. I waited until February and I went back to my healer in Canada and he he touched the eczema and he muscle tested it. And of course the arm goes down. And uh, he said, oh, intrauterine, obviously. He said, eight weeks, three days, fear of losing someone you love. He said her whole life, she would have been so afraid of losing people that she loves to death. You would have never known why, but this is why. When he cleared the emotion out, within two days, she had never had eczema again and it never came wow. out. It was wow. gone, right? So without any cortical steroids, without any other intervention, other than clearing the, the shock and the trauma of fear of losing someone you love. And this was when she was in, in, in the uterus. Yes, in uterus. Wow. So, you know, the, when people, people don't understand that your baby experiences everything that you do. So we have to really be very positive while we're pregnant because the baseline neurotransmitter of the child is becomes whatever we are is becomes the baseline level of neurotransmitters in our in, in the infants 
okay? So, so if we're overly, overly anxious, you know, we're sort of creating a, a tendency for that baby to be more anxious than not. So the, so I said to her, we went to lunch. I said, I suggested this to her. She said, mommy, don't be silly. She said, I never even think about my, you know, twin. It doesn't enter my mind. I haven't thought about my twin in years. I said, I know, but you know, we're working with the subconscious mind and we're working with time here. So this is like the perfect opportunity for you to explore this. And lo and behold, five o'clock came and she came over to me and the tears were just running down. She said, mom, you have no idea how much grief I endured intrauterine when my sibling died. It was so painful. She said, I can't believe how, I, she said, I'm devastated. It was wow. really, it was so interesting, right? So talk about an intrauterine wound becoming a childhood wound. Then the next day I'm praying again. And this time Jesus said to me, the soul, the second soul, the soul that died is within your daughter. Your daughter is hosting her sibling. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, I, and it just so happened that, you know, it's a course where there's a lot of muscle testing. So I ended up going and asking um, the, the, the instructor, I said, can you just muscle test how many souls my daughter has, please? <laughs> And he muscle tested it and he said, for sure, she has two souls. I said, okay. So I prayed that day. I dropped her off at college and I went, came home and I prayed. And Jesus said to me that it was done. And when I called her and told her it was done, she said, mom, I was sleeping the entire time. I said, she said, I didn't feel anything. I said, okay, I love you. And then she started crying. I said, why, why are you crying? She said, because it's the first time that I, um, that you told me that you love me. And I didn't hear a voice inside of me saying, it's not true. She doesn't mean it. She doesn't really love you. Ah. So what happened was, was that the twin felt very rejected because my husband actually, um, knowing that autism is quite prevalent in twins was very fearful. It took that we would have, you know, difficulty with our unborn child again. And it had taken me years to convince him to try because I knew I had such faith and I had heard that I would have a perfectly healthy daughter, which is what God gave me. Mm -hmm. but, but he was so panicked when he found out that I was pregnant with twins that he completely regretted it 100%. And so that second soul had no permission to stay. So that second soul actually felt very rejected. And, and when he, so what I was told afterwards is that in the case of a twin, in this case, she had survivor's guilt and she invited her twin to come and merge with her and live with her. And he came in through the root chakra actually. And it was very interesting because um, <clears throat> she had horrific, horrific um, cramps because it almost thinks of the soul enmeshes into the flesh of the person. And if you can imagine, it creates a barrier. And so when she would, be you know when she had to release from the menstruation she couldn't do it because he was blocking her so she would be writhing on the floor like literally oh my gosh excruciating pain until afterwards it was done and when it was gone it was like the, that whole thing resolved itself it was really fascinating there are so many people who have this issue because it's not just after uh, a twin failure to thrive that uh, causes this issue um, we have people trying for IVF that have failed pregnancies. We have uh, abortions. We have miscarriages. 
any time wherein the the fetus fails to develop full term into a into a baby, right, and be born, um, if for whatever reason the soul is not able to go to the light, and there is another viable pregnancy, it creates the scenario in which multiple soul syndrome can arise, and. Uh, it's much more common. I had I had a case today, case many cases last week too, and it's um, it's talk about life altering. It's truly. I mean, it's shocking when you think about people who are walking around with more than one soul within them. Are there common ailments that people have that yes. they can say maybe this is my could yes. it be? Do I have a multiple soul syndrome? Well, what with those common? You have to know. You know, sometimes actually mothers don't know if if they've had a miscarriage, because some miscarriages happen early on. But I will say um, that many times people know the, the mind seems to be very busy. The first thing that I hear from everybody afterwards is, oh my goodness, I feel so much lighter. That's what I hear all the time. And then um, the, the person can be erratic, meaning they have a lot of difficulties with relationships and maintaining relationships because really, I mean, you can have a sibling, but it doesn't mean you have the same taste in, in a man or a woman, right? And if you can think about, um, this actually is the explanation of how people become transgender because um, the primary soul is the soul that originally was assigned this body, okay? The secondary soul is the one that came afterwards. If the primary soul is very, very um, submissive, and the secondary soul happens to be of an opposite gender and they come in, they will feel as though they are in the wrong body because it's not their body. <laughs> it's, it's their sibling's body. And they will um, impose their choices and their decisions on that body. It, um, my daughter just came home. So it has to do with enmeshment. This doesn't happen until we're at 85 to 90 points of enmeshment. Any, any, level of enmeshment below that, I find that um, there can be sometimes a combative relationship. The closer they are in dominance, the more combative the relationship will be. And the more vigilant the person will be, the more angry the person will be. They constantly feel as though they can't um, let go. They can't relax because if they relax, the second soul is going to take over. Um, if if the primary soul is 75% in control versus 25% in control, it seems to be, you know, a little bit easier to manage just because uh, the person has preferences, let's say, even with profession or education or interests or, or love. But I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, somebody say, you know, I was committed to this relationship and all of a sudden, I just knew that it wasn't gonna work. And so what happens is, is that if there's a vacillation in which soul is in control, so let's say soul A really liked you and chose to be in a committed relationship with you, but soul B at one point ended up taking precedence and says, get lost, I'm not interested in you anymore. So it, it creates such disharmony, I can't even tell you. Bipolar disorder, every single person who is dyslexic, I know this is, you're gonna say, how could she say such a thing? Because this is what I've seen. Every single person who is dyslexic has a multiple soul syndrome. You see, it depends on where the entry point is. So if the, if the second soul came in through the third eye or through the crown chakra or over here in the back, then the brain 
learning disabilities, different things become um, problematic. If the person came in through here, the chest, a lot of times it's tremendously um, anxiety inducing. Um, they feel very powerless. They might have asthmatic issues or versus colic in newborns. I had a fascinating case where a mother had multiple, multiple miscarriages. And when the baby was just a few weeks old or a month old, I can't remember now, um, we ended up doing a removal of three souls from the baby. Oh. And the father, not knowing anything at all, you know what the father said? Did you notice how the baby is completely crying differently? This baby doesn't even sound like our baby, like a completely different cry. I, it's, it's just, it's fascinating. I can't, I, I think I can't express to you the, the level of freedom that the person feels afterwards when that second soul is, re is released. That's so amazing. How many steps are involved in this healing process to get, get a soul to exit? And um, is there a way that any of us can prevent multiple soul syndrome from occurring? Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, first of all, we have an energetic structure. And at the you have to imagine intrauterine oftentimes, unless it's a twin soul and there's familiarity between the souls, oftentimes there is not. The secondary soul invades and violates the boundaries of the person. And so the whole intrauterine experience becomes one that is anxiety-ridden, fear-ridden. It's, it's, it's a violation. And to be honest with you, the um, even autistic children are much more likely to have this occur because the autistic child will just pull out and doesn't even know how to get back in because the secondary soul really begins to dominate and take precedence. Um, also borderline personality disorders, um, dysmorphic disorder, people have, who don't like the way they look. It's like a, almost a foregone conclusion in my mind when they have such rejection of themselves that it's probably a secondary soul rejecting the person because they're an opposite gender. Mm. Um, how, how do you prevent this? Do you know that there are groups of women actually who, who know that when after a miscarriage, they still feel pregnant? So if you are a woman who still feels pregnant after a miscarriage, you have to know that that soul has not gone to the light. In fact, I've worked on people afterwards releasing that fetus and it's the first time they cry. Like one of the telltale signs is that they don't even even go into grief so much. So if you have suffered a loss of a pregnancy due to an abortion, a miscarriage, a failed IVF, whatever it is, you have to pray for that baby's soul to go to the light so that you can avoid the scenario of multiple soul syndrome arising. Now, do people need to pray through a healer like you or can they just uh, create their own prayer and 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 then have this not happen how, how, i mean does everyone i mean so, a lot of people yes. a lot of people don't know that they have this um problem but you know when they hear me describe this they're gonna say oh i know it's gonna be it's gonna be like this is the crux of my this issue. is right this is what i have um that's why i i'm doing the angel of bereavement because i really want people to have some prayers and um i'm going to be doing some um, group healings guided towards this, specifically um, directed towards this, because there are multiple stages. Number one, it's the removal of the soul, okay? And it's like an intricate surgery, I have to tell you. 
because it's in it's true enmeshment they've developed and grown together so the soul is literally enmeshed in the flesh it's not a it's not a light procedure number two um we have to rebuild the structure because when the person was was invaded it destroyed an, an aspect of the person's structure and so it developed an area of vulnerability that has to be I work with intrauterine rescripting. So we have to go back intrauterine and look at all of the times in which the subconscious mind drew a conclusion that has curtailed abundance, that has burdened the person. For example, um, I did, when I did, I did mine, I had guilt. Intrauterine rescripting is not just for people with multiple souls, but anybody can use it. My mother, my, my sister and I are less than a year apart. We're 11 months and change apart. And when she found out that she was pregnant originally, she had just given birth weeks ago. I mean, she wasn't ready to be pregnant. And so when I did my intrauterine rescripting, I realized that I had guilt for existing, for example, mm -hmm. because, you know, and so talk about working with that. And on generational curse level, my father is an amazing man who is very, um, He's, 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 he's a, I don't want to say perfectionist, but he, he has to always be in service and he has to always do good. And, and so he had guilt for inadequacy because he has such high expectations of himself. So as a generational curse, right, I inherited um, guilt from him. Then it was an intrauterine guilt for existing. And of course, my own karma, my own contractual limitation in, from my past lives was guilt. So you can see how God orchestrates this perfect medley of guilt, for example, in my, in my case, or for all of us. It's not haphazard, the parents that we pick. It's because they further extend our own contractual limitations. Um, but so it's a beautiful thing to be able to do uh, intrauterine rescripting. Uh, there are many things that have to happen and we have to work on the level of the subconscious mind. Um, I have to say, that when I look at people who've overdosed at this point, every single one of those people who've overdosed have multiple souls, without exception. Wow. Now say, say a child is overdosing or say they've been into drugs and now they've pulled themselves out of it. Mm -hmm. What happens to that multiple soul if they are, if they get, if they get rid of those toxins and they clean themselves up? Well, the change has to happen on the level of the subconscious mind right? So if there's a constant power struggle, if, if they, this is what happens, the person feels powerless, and then they go into the drugs, right? When you lose control over your body, and you become an addict, an addict, you've lost control over yourself, you are powerless. But the tendency for a person to go down the route of addiction, I find occurs in people who have, it's not only people with multiple souls, but a large majority of them have multiple souls. So they, from an intrauterine experience, already felt powerless. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it's, it's just fascinating to see that the person can, we, we have tools, we have tools, we have to get the prayers out. And that's what I'm working on. And I've been working quite diligently in writing those prayers so that I can record them and have people have access to them. So this led perfectly into my next question, which is, please tell us about the group healings you're planning. How can people sign up for your group healings and when will they take place? Right. So um, 
my first, um, September 29th, I'm going to have, I believe it's a Wednesday. I'm going to start every other Wednesday from that point onwards in working with um, uh, a specific healing. And the first one is going to be with death vows. You know, I observed that people who actually uh, are hospitalized and in very bad shape with COVID or who are dying of COVID, for example, that the subconscious mind is geared towards death. What does that mean? It's the same thing with every single person who has cancer. It's the same thing with anybody who is suicidal or who has self-destructive addictions. Sometimes the subconscious mind takes us literally. And when we say, oh, I can't live like this anymore, or I can't stand my life. And it says, oh, how do we get rid of this? The best escape, the only thing that I can think of is death. But imagine if you were, if you have multiple souls, what happens oftentimes then is that the soul knows that the only escape is through death, that they are incarcerated within this body, within this sibling's body until that sibling dies. For example, I had a nine-year-old who was suicidal and she was- I, Wait, wait, notes. I want to go back. A nine-year-old was suicidal. Yes. For, a, for any physical reason or just that depressed? No, no that depressed. I want to die. I want to die. I don't want to live Oh my anymore. God. And she had a twin who died and he knew very well that if she, the only way out was for her to die. And you know that after we did the separate, second soul separation, she completely, she didn't have any suicidal longings anymore. It wasn't her that wanted to die. It was the twin that has no wow. identity. He's trapped in her too, right? He has no identity. He has no name. Nobody knows that he's there. It's a very painful existence. You can imagine how powerless they feel, how much they want to escape that reality, why they go towards drugs more. It's, it's not just this one person who is plotting their own self-destruction through abuse of substances or making very poor decisions. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, 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 it's so adorable when I, when I hear somebody who had two souls and, and they left my home and right on the way home, they called me back and they said, guess what? I said, what? She said, I ordered takeout. I said, so you ordered takeout. I said, what does that mean? She said, I have to go look at the menu for 45 minutes before I can ever decide what I'm going to eat because there were three souls in her and they could never decide on what they were even the simplest things oh and what they were going to order. She said, I knew what to eat. I could order takeout. I mean, this was a miracle for her. I mean, it's this. Wow. But I think one of the most, one of the most telling things, and you know how coincidences are never coincidences, right? So it was the Tuesday after my worked for the first time with my daughter. And I knew the mother coming in was somebody who had had multiple IVFs. Her daughter was suicidal. She had body dysmorphic disorder. She was anorexic. She was hospitalized for suicidal tendencies. She had just come out a year before as saying that she was gay. Um, she was very depressed. And um, she said, guess what, Sita? She said, I went to a psychic in Manhattan and you know what she told me? She told me that my daughter has two souls. Can you imagine? So what confirmation that was. Right. We did the session. I want you to know that, you know what, what she had a brother in her. You know what he said to her? Me? I heard his voice say, I, I wanted her to starve because I didn't want her to have breasts. I wanted, I wanted her to be as flat as possible. And so if she ate 
very infrequently and in very little quantities, she would remain very slim like a man. Oh my he goodness. Didn't want her have, he didn't want her to have curves. And she had very short hair. I want you to know that two months afterwards, I saw the mother, I asked her, I said, how's your daughter doing? She said, well, she gained 25 pounds. She's not suicidal. She doesn't have body dysmorphic disorder. She's dating a boy. She's happy. She's studying. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. A miracle. a miracle. So that's why I want to give people hope. And, and I know that um, it's not the easiest thing to do, a separation of souls. But I, I hope that, um, that with the proper prayers and in the, in, in the right way that we can um, bring relief to a lot of people. And most importantly, if somebody's pregnant, to make sure that they don't, like if you've had an abortion, right? If you sit there and you think about all the guilt, that means that, that you feel, or if you've had a miscarriage and you're fearful of another miscarriage or you're worrying or you're anxious, any extreme emotion can be caused for that soul to not ascend to the light. So please, please pray and ask God to help take that soul to the light. This is what it's all about. We can't do it alone. We, that's why we have to pray. All right, so if you're having a group healing, what are the different subjects that these prayers, these group healings will be dealing with? And, and how can people sign up for them um, and, and, and get themselves on your list so that they can partake in this? The first healing is going to be about um, vows, death vows, because um, people don't even know that they have them. Every single person with cancer, if you ask the subconscious mind, I want to live, that hand will go down like this. If you say, I want to die, it's a strong and solid. So here we have the person fighting for their life. Meanwhile, their own subconscious mind is driving them to death. I mean, this is anybody who is suicidal, anybody with addiction. So the first thing I'm going to do is I want to work on death vows. And I'm going to do it with um, working with the subconscious mind and prayer. So while I pray, the person's going to be saying and repeating a statement as in between my sentences in order to be able to really create the change we need on the level of the subconscious mind, as well as invoking God to dissolve those patterns, the negative patterns externally. So we're gonna go from the inside out and the outside in. And that's the best way, I think. Wow. And then we're gonna work on, I'm gonna work next, within the next um, September, October, I'm gonna be working on addictions and suicide and uh, taking back our power. And, and every two weeks will be a different subject. That'll be fabulous. So where do people On Wednesday go? nights. Wednesday um, nights. Where do they go to start to sign up for this, Seta? Um, Seta at, Seta is S-E-T-A, Seta at ehealings.com. S-E-T-A at ehealings.com. Mm -hmm. And is there anything we haven't covered you would like people to know about, Seta? Have we covered everything you want people to know? Well, I'm... I'm 99% sure I'm going to do an e-healings with Seta podcast, and I'm going to um, just announce probably a week, a week and a half before each group healing, the subject that I want to talk about and I want to heal uh, a little bit more at length and then feed into that Wednesday night healing that comes because um, I think that too many people are, are suffering needlessly, Irene, and we have to help them. I think that's wonderful. And um... So what are the best ways, Seta at ehealings.com is the best way for people to connect with you? Yes. Okay. Please. And what is Seta? And if they connect, if they connect with me, they, please also uh, have them mark their cell phone. Okay. 
So very important when you connect with Seta to give her your cell phone number. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And Seta Arash Shahinian, what is your tip for finding joy in life? Oh, I think it has to be gratitude. It just has to be gratitude because, you know, the more grateful we are, um, the more God blesses us. I mean, think about it. When you made your favorite meal for Matt and he said, mom, that was delicious. What was the first thing you thought of? He said, I'm going to, I'm going to make a note of that. And I'm going to prepare it for him again. Right. That's true. Absolutely. And true. that's, and, and, and if you are the parent of your child's physical body, God is the parent of our soul. And so God wants us to be happy too. And so when we say thank you to God, what else, what else can I give her? What else can I do for Irene? Right. And, and then I always say, you know, how can I serve you, God? Because I know that, that God uses you as an instrument. Right, Absolutely. Absolutely. And Here we are. Yes. It's, what a blessing. Seta, it truly has been. How much of, more of a pleasure could it be to once again share you and your incredible healing gifts with our Grief and Rebirth podcast audience. Thank you from my heart for this amazing interview with so much valuable new healing information for all of us. And here's a loving reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on irenweinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. As I like to say, to be continued, many blessings, and bye for now. Mm -hmm.